What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. That's a lesson for us, that when we have a great burden for uh, let's say a lost person or a situation that is impossible, what should we do? Follow what Paul said when he said, my heart's desire, and don't stop there, but then go on and prayer to God, and prayer to God in this case for Israel that they might be saved. But in spite of all of our heart's desire, and in spite of all of our prayer to God for Israel that they might be saved, in spite of all of our great heaviness and continual sorrow, in spite of our, all of our wishing ourselves accursed from Christ if the Jewish people could be saved, like Paul said. In spite of all of that, when it comes to the Jewish people, the reality is that we are not living in a day of what God said to Moses in verse 18, and they shall hearken to thy voice. Even though we wish we were, we're not. And the reality is that we're living in the day of another verse in Ezekiel 3.7, just like in Exodus 3.18, but as opposed to that, we're living in the day of Ezekiel 3.7 where God told Ezekiel, but the house of Israel will not hearken unto thee, for they will not hearken unto me, for all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted as opposed to what God said to the prophet Moses in verse 18 in Exodus 3, and they shall hearken to thy voice, we're living in the day of what God said to the prophet Ezekiel in the seventh verse of Ezekiel 3, but the house of Israel will not hearken unto thee. And when we read those verses, and of course we read that in Ezekiel, where God told Ezekiel in Ezekiel 3.7 that the house of Israel will not hearken to them. And when we read that, we understand, when we, we talk to Jewish people today, it breaks our hearts. It breaks our hearts for them because we're living in a day like that. And what should our response be? And what is our response? It's the response of another prophet. It's the response of Jeremiah in chapter nine, verse one, where he said, oh, that my head 
were waters, and mine eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. You know, Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. He has another book called Lamentations. And that's what he's expressing here. This is the epitome of what we think of when we think of the prophet Jeremiah here, these words. And so these words where he said, you know, I wish my head was just like a source of waters, like fountains, like a well that they just keep coming and coming. And my eyes are like the portals that the water just keeps coming out because I don't have enough liquid to create the tears, enough tears for how I feel when I weep day and night, he said, for the Jewish people of the slain of the daughter of my people. Now, if we are not to become crushed by this sorrow that Jeremiah is speaking about, by the sorrow that the Apostle Paul is speaking about, by the continual, by the heaviness, by the great heaviness, and the continual sorrow that Paul spoke about, and we understand that we are not living in the day described by the prophet, described to the prophet Moses of Exodus 3.18, they shall hearken to thy voice. But we are living in the day described to the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel 3, 7, but the house of Israel will not hearken unto thee. And we are living in the day when our response to their unbelief is the response of the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 9, 1. Oh, that my head were waters, mine eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night. Jeremiah's response is the response of God. What Jeremiah is saying here, what Jeremiah is expressing, what Paul is expressing also is how God feels, how God responds to the unbelief of the Jewish people, which is what a broken heart, a broken heart. That's what God has when he thinks of the unbelief of the Jewish people, and that's what God is leading us to, calling us to the ministry of a broken heart, a broken heart that drives to action. Remember what Paul said, my desire, that's the broken heart, and prayer to God, that's the action. So a broken heart that drives us to do. Drive, a broken heart that drives us to do. Do what? More explaining, more sharing, more asking, more inviting, more pleading, more begging the lost Jewish people to get off the train, get off the train that leads to the eternal Holocaust. And when Jeremiah encountered all this unbelief of the Jewish people, he really had a choice. Jeremiah had a choice. And when you and I encounter all the unbelief of the Jewish people, we have the same choice that Jeremiah had. And that choice was like this. Jeremiah faced with the unbelief of the Jewish people, he could have decided to take it personally, get offended, get angry, become angry with the Jewish people. He could have decided to react against the Jewish people for their unbelief and get angry with them as unfortunately Martin Luther did when he became enraged at the unbelief of the Jewish people for not responding to his messages to them to be saved. And you and I come to that same crossroads. We come to that same decision point 
where we are brought there by the unbelief of the Jewish people and we can either take it personally, we can become enraged to them. And if Jeremiah had done that, and if you and I do that, then Jeremiah would have never read or, or said, and we, would have, we will never say the words of Jeremiah in Jeremiah 9.1. Oh, that my head were waters and mine eyes a fountain of tears that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. And if we decide that, we take that tragic decision to become enraged at the Jewish people for their unbelief, then you and I will never repeat and will never mean, if we ever did say the words and make them our words, oh, that on my head were waters and my eyes were, were a fountain of tears that I might weep day and night for the Jewish people. If we do not make that same decision, if we do not do that, which is the wrong one, but instead allow ourselves to become vulnerable, See, that's the other road, the good road that God wants us to take. The road that Jeremiah took, he allowed himself to become vulnerable. You know, when something hurts us, there is a decision point which we come to and we have to say, am I gonna allow myself to be hurt or am I just gonna seal off? Am I gonna become hermetically sealed from the outside, you know, am I gonna say, I'm an island and I have my books and I don't need anybody else and I don't need them. And that's refusing to become, to allow ourselves to become vulnerable. But if we don't make ourselves vulnerable by letting God break our heart, like he broke the heart of Paul and he broke the heart of Jeremiah and for the lost Jewish people, then if a person decides to become hermetically sealed and insulated and hardens the heart, then they go down of one of two roads. One road is either the road of active anger or anti-Semitism against the lost Jewish people, or the other road is the road of passive anger against lost Jewish people, where there is a sinking into a who cares attitude where there is a loss of the fervency to evangelize. There is the loss of the fervency to bring the gospel to the lost Jewish people. And that's a passive anger. And this passive anger is a resolution inside to have no feeling. No feeling to the fact that the majority are going to hell. This passive anger is a loss of the sense of urgency to bring the gospel to the lost people. This passive anger of no urgency to bring the gospel to the lost is justified by a belief in fatalism. A belief in fatalism, it's more than que sera, sera. It's more than what will be, will be. It was, it's fatalism is what will be is meant to be what to be is predestined to be, what to be is predetermined to be. And this belief in fatalism is the belief that God has already made the decision as to who will be saved, and the lost have no capability, total depravity. They have no capability to will, no capability to call on God. And this fatalistic belief is like a venom that makes a person feel foolish for fervently explaining, for fervently sharing, for fervently asking, for fervently inviting, 
for fervently pleading, for fervently begging the lost to get off the train that leads to the eternal Holocaust because this fatalistic belief says it's futile. It's futile because either a person is on some secret list of who has been predestined to be saved or he is not on that secret list of who has been predestined to be saved. And nothing can be done to move a person from on or off that list who has not been predestined to be saved. You know, at Scanabody's Laboratory, we work in the areas, we work in research and manufacturing and uh, application for better diagnostics and therapeutics for, for many different diseases, but in particular for patients with kidney failure and cancer. And kidney failure patients and the cancer patients are two groups of patients that, quite frankly, unfortunately, do not have a very good prognosis for the future. In fact, stage four renal failure has the very depressing term of ESRD, which stands for end-stage renal disease. I'd like to have a disease where it's called end-stage, you know, last, last stage. And the reality is, is that when a nephrologist looks at a room out of a hundred of his dialysis patients who are receiving treatment, he knows that at the end of a year, 25 seats are gonna be empty. He knows that at the end of the year, 25 of those 100 patients will die. That's the reality, that's the statistics. And for certain types of cancer at certain stages, the oncologist knows also that for the certain group of his patients that in a year, a certain number will die. So this is a very, very difficult, this is a burden, this is a great heaviness, this is a continual sorrow for the nephrologist and the oncologist, and because the nephrologist, kidney doctor, and the oncologist, they're not in the same position as the pediatrician, because the pediatrician will see most of his patients recover from their disease. But unfortunately, the nephrologist and the oncologist have many patients that he knows will not recover from their disease. The question is, what effect does that knowledge have on the nephrologist and the oncologist? What effect on the nephrologist and oncologist could be to make them hard-hearted, where they say, well, they're gonna die anyways, and if I let myself become, if I let myself become vulnerable, if I let myself become emotionally involved, I'll become so crippled by being torn up by it all that I can't do my job. But then there are some great doctors, great nephrologists like Dr. Wheeler in Lubbock, Texas, and Dr. Hassan Femi in Detroit, who let their hearts become vulnerable. I know them. And who let their hearts be broken for their patients. And when their patients succumb to the disease, then they let that emotion drive them to look for better and apply better ways to diagnose and to treat their patients. And, and it's antibodies where we treat patients whenever we lose a patient, it's so frustrating and heartbreaking and it causes us to say never again and to work harder to discover a better treatment. That, that's what the tragedy of the Jewish people's unbelief should do for us. It should frustrate us, it should break our hearts, 
It should cause us to say never again and to work harder to bring the gospel to the lost Jewish people. And when we encounter another Jewish person who says in effect that he'd rather go to hell than to believe in Jesus, that should break our heart. And that should drive us all the more to explain more, to share more, to ask more, to invite more, to plead more, to beg more of the lost Jewish people to get off the train that leads to the eternal Holocaust by getting on the train of the Lord Jesus Christ as the way, the truth, and the life. So what should the unbelief of the Jewish people do for us? What should the unbelief of the Jewish people cause us to do? The unbelief of the Jewish people should cause us to hear. It should cause us to accept God's call for us in Ezekiel 3.17, because he had said, uh, remember earlier, he said to Ezekiel that they wouldn't hear, and so what should that do for Ezekiel? So then a little few verses down later, God says to Ezekiel in verse 17 of Ezekiel 3, son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, hear the word at my mouth and give them warning from me. Their unbelief should cause us to accept more God's appointed post for us. Post for what? A post to serve the Jewish people, to serve God, to serve the Jewish people by being more of a watchman unto the house of Israel. Their unbelief should cause us to read more of God's word, to see more of God's warnings to Israel in his Bible, and to more hear the word at my mouth and to more give them warning from me. The unbelief of the Jewish people should drive us to our knees to pray for the Jewish people as it says in Psalm 122.6, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. And there is no peace without peace with God. There is no peace without reconciliation with God without bringing the warfare to an end between God and man, which only occurs at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, where peace and truth kissed each other. The unbelief of the Jewish people should drive us to see that God is searching. He's looking for a certain brave unusual person. And he says this later in the same book of Ezekiel, chapter 22, verse 30, where God now says, I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. You know, this is God saying that he put out a job notice here. He's looking for applicants. He says, there's an opening here, and he's looking for applicants. God went to monster.com, and he put his job ad up there, and he said, I sought for a man. I'm looking for a man among them who should make up the hedge, get in the hedge, be the hedge, and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. When we read those verse, we should be the ones who say to God, not anymore, God, not anymore. You won't have to look anymore for a man to make up the hedge and stand in the gap, as you said, between you and the lost Jewish people, because I'm your man, God. You found him. It's me. 
Just like Isaiah said, here am I, send me. You won't have to look anymore for a man to stand between you and the lost Jewish people because I'm your man. You won't have to say anymore, I sought for a man to stand in the gap between you and the lost Jewish people because I'm your man. I'm gonna stand in the gap. I will make up the hedge. You won't have to look anymore to be the bridge, to bridge the gap between you, a holy God, and the lost Jewish people because you found your man in me. I am your man. And it's interesting that God said that they would listen to Moses' voice. They shall hearken, and they shall hearken to thy voice. It's interesting that God said to Moses about the Jewish people, they shall hearken to thy voice. God did not say that they would listen and to believe what Moses was saying, but they would listen and believe Moses' voice. That's interesting, they associated the association that the Jewish people made with Moses' voice, with Moses' person, and that shows us how the Jewish people viewed Moses. They viewed Moses as an ambassador for God, and it shows us the great faithfulness of Moses. Moses was such a faithful servant to God that the Jewish people viewed Moses as coming from God. So when the people, when the Jewish people heard Moses' voice, they believed that they were hearing from God, and rightly so. And the Jewish people looked to one person to hear from God, and that person, when they wanted to hear from God, the Jewish people looked to Moses to hear from God. The Jewish people understood that when God spoke, Moses spoke. The Jewish people understood that when Moses spoke, God spoke. And Moses was for the Jewish people, their line of communication with God, to God. You know, there was a time, a very interesting time, in the history of the Jewish people when they complained. Unfortunately, it wasn't the only time they complained, but anyways, this was one time when they complained. They complained about the food that God was giving to them to eat. They accused God of wanting to take them into the wilderness to kill them. Very serious accusations. Sin great sin, and as a result of that sin, of that great sin, God sent fiery, poisonous serpents, painful, fatal, bite serpents among them as a judgment, and the people were bitten by these serpents, and the people were writhing in pain as a result of these bites of the serpent, and the people were dying, and in that dilemma, they came to Moses and they said these words, very important, in Numbers 21.7. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. That's Numbers 21.7. That's an important chapter. Numbers 21.7, that's an important verse because that verse says that when the Jewish people got in trouble by their own sin, they turned to Moses for help. That verse says that they confessed their specific sin to Moses and said, we have sinned for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. So Moses was the person that they confessed their specific sins to. That verse says 
that they asked Moses to pray for them and to take away the serpents from them. So Moses was the person they asked to pray for them to God. That verse says that Moses did pray for them, as it says, and Moses was the person who prayed for the Jewish people. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org.